So last week, as we head into chapter 28 of 1 Samuel, if you remember, David headed to the land of the enemy to get away from King Saul, and he is now the protector of the king of Gath. You know, the place where Goliath came from, David is now packing his giant sword on his side in this place where Goliath is from for the next 16 months of his life. And and how did the anointed man after God's own heart get there? How did he get there? Well, we got to know this so we don't allow it to repeat our, itself in our own lives. He had a conversation with himself in his heart. Well, that's where we left off. Verse 1, it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. So David's been there a while. We know he's there 16 months. Saul's going to die after this battle. David's going to get brought into the kingdom. That they gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, the future king of Israel, the anointed man of God, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men, to fight against the nation of Israel. In other words, you, you've been living in my world and using me. Now it's payback time as you live in this world, David, and I'm going to use you. And I'm going to live off of you for a while. And I hope we can all see that. That that's how the world and our society operates today. The world works one way, use or be used. God's world is love and love. I look at my life before Christ. If you had something that I needed or desired, you were considered valuable to me. But if you didn't have anything that I could use, then I just, I didn't waste my time with you. And that's how the world operates. So as Christians, we need to be real careful living in a world that's driven by this way of thinking so we don't compromise and allow it to creep into our lives because it slithers in all around us. Because if you allow it to creep in, you're going to end up in the enemy's camp every time, just like David does, and God will send or be a, sending a storm your way for the purpose of correction, seeking to get you out of it. I mean, he's stuck. You've been feeding off of my protection away from Saul. It's payback time. And so David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. Like, what exactly do you mean by that, David? Like, Achish, you know I can wipe you guys all out in the midst of the battle with my Jewish homeboys. I'm going to turn on you, Achish. Is that what you can do, David? Gals, this is a great picture, and guys, single guys, of being unequally yoked with a guy or with a gal. David has nothing in common with Achish. And now he's being forced to go to battle with his own countrymen. The very ones, in a matter of weeks, he's going to be their king. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians, forever. Totally the lowest point of King David's life thus far. I mean, David's in a major jam. How does he get out? Well, you can read ahead 
and see if David speaks truth or if God intervenes. Otherwise, you'll just have to wait until next week because this is like one of those soap operas. You know, they, they're right in the middle of the great scene. Oh, now we're going to a different scene. Not that I know what soap operas are. I don't even know if I ever watched them as a pagan. But we'll say right like one of the cop shows where they're bringing it right to the end of the season and the guy just got shot. Well, of course he's going to live. Otherwise, the series over. But, hey, I guess they figure one of these days he won't live. So we're shifting gears to Saul's troubles here. Man is still seeking to be in control and is under the correction of the Lord, and um, Saul is not in a good place here. Verse 3, when Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city, and Saul had, please take notice of this, had put the mediums and the spiritists and the fortune tellers and the horoscope writers, the tarot car readers, the witch, the wizards, the spellcasters, the spiritists. When he put all that stuff out of the land, apparently sometime in Saul's reign, he did something right. Now for Saul, please remember that his only connection to God was always through who? It's always through Samuel. Well, Samuel's now buried in, in his hometown and off the scene. Then the Philistines, verse 4, gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem, northern Philistine territory, southern Israel. So Saul gathered all of Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the armies of Philistines, how, which way is he looking? Which way is he looking? He's working horizontal because the cowboy always sees across the horizon. Thank you, Ronald Kiefer from the sixth grade. I can never get him straight. I hope I just helped you, cowboy man. So, so Saul has taken a totally horizontal look at the army of the Philistines. He was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Not just the butterflies, like before the big game or the big concert or the big whatever, but intense shaking. And please notice what it says here about his heart. As you think back about what the decisions David made with his heart in the previous chapter. His heart trembled greatly. And so we know right from the get-go he's going to be living off of what he feels. Something last week did not fare for David very well. You know, a man out of sync with the Lord is the most scared man in the world. So totally a naturally earthly feeling here for Saul as he views life on a horizontal plane. He's outnumbered. He's outgunned. So he does what we all should do. Verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord. That's what we should do when we find ourselves going, well, how did, what? Oh, we took our eyes off the heavenlies. This is what we should do. Looks like there comes a time when you're disobedient enough that God says, I'm just not going to answer you anymore. Look what it says. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Certainly we find that in the New Testament to some degree. The Lord did not answer him either by dreams, no answer, or by Urim, that would be the Urim or the Thummim, no, no answer, or by the prophets, no answer. Why? Because it was too little, too late. God had given Saul numerous 
chances to get it together and to make it right. If we want God to guide us, team, then we need to obey what we know. Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM in his book, Is That You, God, says this. When you get to the place when you don't hear from the Lord, just go back to the last place you heard, and you hopefully will hear there. For Saul, it's too late. At least I think it's too late. God's already sold him out, given him an evil spirit. Could Saul have repented? I don't know. For Saul, going all the way back to the Battle of the Amalekites is where Saul had gone too far. He just, and for why? How? Because he was disobedient. Even though he thought he was obedient. So what did Saul do? Remember what he did after the Battle of the Amalekites? Yeah, yeah, after all that. Hey, everybody's a winner in FFPS. He goes and builds himself a monument to himself. And he rejected the Lord God. He was, And when he did that, he was done because he wasn't obedient. You see, the people rejected the Lord and asked for a king. So God gave them what they wanted and he gave them their pick as a king. And that king rejected the Lord God. By way of review, look back at chapter 15, if you want, verse 23. This is what Samuel said to Saul. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Saul started small in his eyes, but once he got rolling, he didn't want anything to do with God's program. Verse 26, same chapter. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Push ahead one chapter, chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, verse 1, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn of oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provi provided myself a king among his sons. God gave Saul, according to some commentators, 20 years. Get it together. Saul failed early on, but still God waited till this day of his death. Could he ever repent it anywhere along the way after the Malachites? I have no idea. You read the words here, it says no, but certainly there's many times God in the Old Testament said, Moses, I'm going to smoke him. And Moses started praying and God stopped. Saul was the people's choice award. David was God's choice. And this is why God's not answering Saul. And please understand that Saul is not seeking the Lord to repent. That's not what he's doing here in chapter 28. He's, he's not seeking the Lord to find out what is wrong within his own life. He's seeking the Lord, looking for answers concerning the battle. He, he, he's not seeking the Lord for anything to do with his own personal life. He's only seeking the Lord for how to win the prize, something that Esau sought the Lord for. He just wanted the blessing. We get a great picture of what's going on in his heart in verse 7. Then Saul, being a desperate man, heads out and seeks direction from the very ones he'd expelled out of his land. Can someone say, slightly confused? No one? Okay. <laughs> now, now keep in mind as he does this, 
he is violating the very law of God he's seeking to keep when he expelled them from the region. And so Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium, an astrologer, tarot reader, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Can you say desperate? The Lord's not speaking, so he's going to go to a medium. And his servant said to him, hey, in fact, there's a woman who's a medium at Endor, which I think is a little south of Jerusalem. It's hard to find on a map. But what's interesting here is even though Saul had sought to clean up Israel, seems like someone on his cabinet knew there was one close by. And so Saul goes, verse 8, disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. No doubt he's got a hoodie in. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, look, are you part of, is this an FBI sting? I mean, are you, are you FTA? I mean, what's the deal here? Is this a local sting? The woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Is this a setup or something? And Saul swore to her by the Lord. Someone say, whacked out. Just proves that people that use religious words does not mean they're very religious if there's no walk associated with those religious words. And so he swears to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, uh, by the way, uh, medium, uh, witch at indoor, uh, God's not speaking to this guy that's sworn by the Lord. Uh, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So much for any type of power, this fraud huckster doesn't even know who's before her. Okay, please take notice of that. It's the king of Israel. She doesn't know who it is. If she's some giant, demonic, sp spiritual force in the universe that can do a seance and call up people from the dead, she doesn't even know who's before her. Verse 11. And the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Please remember, Samuel at his death was still Saul's adversary. And so Saul wants to bring up an enemy of his. When the woman saw Samuel, she totally freaked out and wet herself with a loud voice. Now, I don't know if all of that happened. <laughs> but when you go look at the words, there's plenty of happening here. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Now, what's going on here? The simple answer is this woman is a fraud. All of a sudden, something else has taken place that has never happened before in her life, and she's freaking out. Or maybe she could hear words from demonic spirits and make stuff up along the way. After all, the fallen angels, they've always been around. They could tell some demonic person what you did 10 years ago and but this thing happening before her eyes, this is way beyond her control. This is way beyond what she was used to fabricating, which still makes her a fraud. And the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? 
And the woman said to Saul, I see a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is this form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and he bowed down. Certainly there are those today who say they allegedly contact the spirits of the dead. It's big business among rich people who don't know the living Lord God. And, you know, there's a lot of con artists that have figured out how to suck some of that money out of their pockets. And certainly that's what's going on here, with one exception. What she started and what she's getting are two different things. She started a typical scam, and now what she's getting here is all God. But the only part the woman played is she's scared out of her wits. You know, there's no magic ball or crystal ball where this woman is accomplishing some great demonic feat like you see in some of these shows that are on television. Her reaction and then understanding that King Saul was standing right before her tells us she's a huckster. Because she didn't know anything until first God did something. Now, there are people who go... Excuse me. Who you know? I believe they're just demon possessed people. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure I was before I got saved. I didn't look like it. I just at times lived like it. And uh, but there's people who go to them today in order to contact some dead relative. I mean, they got them on the streets and they got them around here. Like I said, I'm sure there's demons attached to these mediums of today. Somehow, you know, you know, uh, you know, Johnny Simpson goes in there and says, "Hey, I want to see if I can get a hold of my dead grandma," and so she's demonic possessed, and some demon whispers in her ear something about her his dead grandma. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, hey, I, I see your grandma and she's talking about the White House where she dropped the cookie jar and you were so frightened. <gasps> That's my grandma. And then all of a sudden, you know, these people got people on the hook at that point. They just start making stuff up. Hey, you need to give away all your money to me. And <laughs> it's funny. People do it. Scientology is pretty much similar. And they play people for fools. The devil gets to keep people in bondage. The mediums get to take their dollars out of their pockets. But this here, look at the details here that this witch at Endor is all freaked out about. It's all God. First off, it worked unlike it had ever worked in the past. She cries out with a great, this is the Greek, the Hebrew word is great crackling, bleeding voice as she's scared to death. Somehow as Samuel's making his way from the grave, she knows it's Saul, maybe Samuel's going, Saul, what are you doing this time? She saw a detailed description of Saul. That's why she's freaking out. So is this possible? I don't know. Remember Peter, James, and John saw Elijah and Moses when Jesus was transfigured? That was all God. Even as I believe this is all God. Even as I believe God wants to give one last chance to Saul to repent or one last word to Saul. Look, look at the words of Saul and Samuel for further proof. This isn't, the devil doesn't know what's going to happen, but God does. Samuel is asking Saul, what were you thinking? 
And Saul answered with what we already know. And Samuel's going to do for Saul what Samuel did for Saul when he is alive. He's going to tell him the truth, and he's going to point him back to God. The devil doesn't do that. The devil never tells people the truth, and the devil never points people back to God. The devil always points people away from God. The Cliff Notes version is, the Lord has departed from you, Saul, and has become your enemy. David is going to be king because of your disobedience. Israel will be overrun by the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons that follow you into battle will die and be with me somewhere tomorrow. Like, with me, with me, or across the other side of the chasm with me. None of that seems demonic. When you look at the words that are being spoken, it's only demonic by how Saul starts this whole thing rolling by going to the median at Endor. And certainly God can work through anything. We all know that. We can start at the beginning. We have a donkey. Actually, they believe Jonah might. And then we have the big fish. We have the chicken, the rooster. We got the witch. God works through all kinds of things. It seems like if you won't listen to God's voice one way, he'll get the final word in another way, because he does. We know there are laws against these mediums in the book of Deuteronomy, so we know for certain God's not blessing Saul's actions, and God's not giving this woman anything, because God's law forbids it. What is interesting is these types of people have been around from way back then. Because even before the law was written, it seems they're around. That's why the law was written. Don't go to them. They would have had to have been there if the law was written. Don't go to them. Put them out of the land. And that's why the law was written. You can go look at it. Quite possibly, she's possessed by a demon spirit who would remind people of past experiences. I don't know. And then she would manipulate people for profit. But that's not what happened here. For proof that... This whole gig was phony. Just look at Madam Indora's face when Samuel shows up in verse 12. Well, I mean, what do you see? She's totally freaked out. Because, see, if this is what you normally did for a living, then you, then why would you be freaked out if it actually worked? You wouldn't be. You'd be going, yep, here comes another one, just like last week. I suggest to you that it, it has never happened before in this lady's life. When it happens for real and the woman knowing that, she lets out a loud squeal. The devil and his demons can raise no one from the dead, ever. Certainly, let alone a godly man. They can't raise anybody from the dead. They have no power to do that. It has to be God. But God can all the time, can all the time raise people from the dead. He doesn't when Jesus dies. When the, when when. When, when Jesus said it was finished, the veil in the temple was torn in two, and it says the saints resurrected, and it says after the resurrection, they walked out into the city. Where'd they go? They probably died again. Either that or they're still roaming the earth somewhere. <laughs> I think they died. Yeah. So I think the event took place that we just read about, just like the way God wanted it, and only God could have been behind it. There's no way the devil could have. Verse 15. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, remember he's deeply af 
afraid in his heart. That's what's got him here in the first place. I'm deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Saul at this point in his life is a desperate man. Samuel said, why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? But what a sad, sad commentary on a man's life. Started out as the first king of Israel, ends up with the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, and D. That'd be the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah Yahweh, has departed from Saul and become his enemy. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. You know, the one you've been chasing all over town. And here's why this has happened. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. And Amalek is a type of the flesh. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Again, obedience is a big thing to God. Remember how Samuel had told Saul that his disobedience is as rebellion as as sin of witchcraft for not killing the Amalekites? And so here he is now consulting with a witch, entering into witchcraft, being schooled by a man that God raises from the dead. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Grace is gone. Judgment's knocking at death's door. Not exactly the words uh, one would be looking for. And why? Because of his disobedience. Because of his sin. Saul, the army of Israel will be defeated and you, Saul, are going to be dead. Notice where Samuel tells Saul he'll be tomorrow, and tomorrow you and your sons will be, will be with me. So where is that? Well, this is our only detour for the night. Luke chapter 16. Please, let's turn there. We know the place is called Abraham's bosom. And Jesus speaks to us about a real place that Samuel has just left, that certainly Jonathan is going to be with Abraham's bosom. I don't think Saul will be. Some would say that Luke 16 is a parable, but I believe it's not a parable because, first of all, Jesus uses real names, Abraham and Lazarus. In all of his parables, he never uses real names. Also, in Luke 16, Jesus doesn't say it's a parable. Jesus, neither does Luke say Jesus then told a parable. Every time the word parable shows up in the New Testament, all 45 of them are attached to the words of Jesus and telling a parable or having one of the writers of the Gospels write, and Jesus is just told the parable. In the Gospels, Jesus would use words like, or the writers of the Gospels would use words like, therefore hear the parable of the sower. Jesus' words. Another parable he put forth to them, Gospel writer. Another parable he spoke to them, Gospel writer. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them. Gospel writer. Hear another parable. That's Jesus. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. That's Jesus. Do you not understand this parable? That's Jesus. He spoke by a parable. Gospel writer. So he told a parable to those who were invited. Gospel writer. 
Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in, gospel writer. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. He always did that before he got there. But now here in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19, doesn't say anything about a parable. It, it really seems like a story that's totally out of order. But here's what you need to remember. Luke wasn't an eyewitness to nothing. Luke went out and he, if you look at Luke chapter 1, he says, I'm going to put in order a most excellent account. So Luke has went out and interviewed everybody. And somewhere along the line, Jesus said this. He's the only one that records it. And this is how he records it. Now, there was a certain rich man, God in his mercy doesn't name him, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, flea bites, bed bites, laying in the same place for so long who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. That's what, he would have been happy. Just, hey, when you sweep the floor, just come shaking on my mat. Moreover, the dogs came and licked Lazarus' sores. So it was that the beggar died. Please notice how he gets to Abraham's bosom and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Some would say it's because he wasn't buried. I, I don't know. I, I disagree with that. I think he was buried. But by the time he's buried, he's already long gone. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. I'm planning on getting that same way. The rich man also died and was buried. He doesn't get carried to Abraham's bosom. He gets delivered somewhere, someplace else. And look where it says, And being in torments... In Hades, so he feels. First of all, this is not purgatory like the Catholic Church somehow imagines. Uh, no. But he feels something. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. He can see up and afar off, but we can't see back and afar down. That would be hell for all of eternity, seeing those that you should have been with. And he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. So he knows people. He feels torment. And he saw Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, he can talk. Have mercy on me. <clears throat> That's, that will never happen. Once you die, then the judgment. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Oh, you become thirsty for all of eternity. For I am tormented in this flame. You don't burn up. You're just tormented for all of eternity. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. He can remember. He can look ahead. He can look back. Remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. And that's really all of us. Everyone sitting here is a rich man, by the way. Not Hopefully not in this story, but we all are rich in comparison to the rest of the world. 
Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, as you look up and a great way off, rich man, there's a great gulf fix, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor, nor can those from there pass to us. Then the rich man said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house. He knows everything about life. He hasn't become dumber. I would imagine that we become smarter when we pass off into eternity. For I have five brothers Send Lazarus to my five brothers that he may testify to them that this place is real, that there really is an afterlife, that it's not just a figment of somebody's imagination. It's not something that Hollywood mocks. Have him go and testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Please notice it doesn't work that way. You can't go burn a candle for him to get him out. You can't go get them baptized for the dead to get them out. Once they're there, they're there. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And that's the living uh, brothers that are still alive. And the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, that's not going to work. Didn't work for me because we're. We're just anti-God type people, or we believe we can create God any way we want. It'll be fine. Nope, that's not going to work, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abe said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they don't believe creation And God's plan for mankind all the way from Genesis 3 forward. Neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. End of a true life story. When Jesus finished his work on the cross and rose again from the dead, when the penalty of sin had been paid for those in this place, this place of Abraham's bosom only, the place when you look up and afar off, when the power of the resurrection had been established, when Jesus rose from the dead, that's when Jesus ushered these Old Testament saints into heaven. That place is empty today. Now, some believe it was after Jesus said it was finished on the cross prior to the resurrection. I don't know. I don't see how that's possible. They believe that right after he said it's finished, he ushered these into heaven. I don't know. Maybe he did. So there's a disagreement between three days, but there is no different disagreement that this is a very real place, that part of it is now empty. And those in Abraham's bosom have been let out and are in heaven rejoicing. While those with the rich man, that side continues to fill every single second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, ever since the fall of man. God created this bad place for the fallen angels. But when man sinned, this becomes their temporary resting place before the great white throne judgment. It's Hades, hell, Sheol, pick your language, same word. 
And at the Great White Throne Judgment, the books will be open, like I talked about on Sunday. And their works are going to be there to try and justify why they should get into heaven because they had no walk with God. And their name's not going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And at that Great White Throne Judgment, they'll be found guilty and they'll be cast into Gehenna, which is an eternal place of fire. Look up the words. It's in there. It will actually happen. Now, we know Jonathan believed. I, so I believe he was delivered. We know Saul did not. So we know he didn't. I don't know about the rest of Saul's sons, if they followed their dad's way of thinking or if they followed their older brother Jonathan's way of thinking. But this I know. One side sits empty today. And the other side, where the rich man and Saul are, that side continues to fill up until that great white throne judgment takes place in Revelation chapter 20. And it will happen. Because if that won't happen, then this whole thing is a total sham. Back to Saul. Receiving no directions on what to do from Samuel, but only receiving a death sentence because you didn't obey the words of the Lord, verse 20, in chapter 28 of 1 Samuel. Then immediately Saul fell. Please, you gotta you have just be Saul for a minute. You're desperate. You go to the you know the horoscope guy out on the freeway, and you're there, and all of a sudden God does this thing. That guy goes running out of the house, he's all freaked out, never seen anything like it before. You hear from Samuel God's word for you. You're still in the house. Then Samuel then immediately verse twenty, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid. He's in, he's in her house because of the words of Samuel. And that would be that God was against him, the words against him, that Israel was going to lose and that he and his sons were going to die. And there was no strength in him, for he had not eaten no food all day or all night. Of course, he had to hike there to get there. God didn't answer him. Then he had to hike there. And then it's nighttime. He wanted to wait till it's nighttime. Maybe he's doing a little fasting thing, trying to get an answer for God. God, you got to answer if I fast. Verse 21 is about as low as it gets for Saul. Finding no comfort from God. You're Saul. You're sitting in this witch's house. Finding no comfort from God, the witch comes along, alongside Saul seeking to comfort you. Crazy. Two rebels against the Lord now seeking to comfort one another. That is crazy. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I put my life in my hands. And he did the words which you spoke to me. Please notice the demonic witch is now calling the shots for Saul. Now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me get a piece of bread before you. Saul, you're on death row. Let me give you your last meal, and then you may eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way to your execution. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice because he just really wanted the attention to be all about him. Then he arose from the ground, and he sought on the witch's bed. <laughs> Crazy. 
the rebellious witch against the Lord, and now King Saul, rebellious as well, sitting on the same bed. It's crazy. Now, even as I go through this, I've always wondered, what if? What if Saul would have had some life-changing experience when he saw Samuel, and he truly had a heart change, as God gave him a heart change the first time, and, and he would have, it was true repentance. I wonder if God would have spared him. Probably not. But you know what? We'll never know because the man with such a hard heart that all he can do is sit on the floor and then on the edge of a bed that belongs to a witch and he's still going, why me? It's all about me. Now the woman had fattened a calf in the house. It's cool. I guess you don't have to worry about anybody stealing it then. <laughs> I think it might be a little smelly. I don't know. We've had a baby horse in our house before because his mother died. So we were, it was coming there and they thought it should come in. It just nudged the screen door open and, in it, and it came. But I don't know about raising a fatted calf in the house. I would think that'd be a little smelly. And she hastened to kill it. She's quick about it. She took flour and kneaded it, you know, made a, Nice little coating on the meat. And baked unleavened bread from it, so she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they he ate they ate he ate his last meal in testament. Then they rose and went away that night. Saul's last recorded meal at the hands of a witch. Crazy tragic. From being anointed king of Israel and the Holy Spirit coming upon him and giving him a different heart, making him a new man being reduced down to having his last supper at the hands of a witch, such as a man who does not listen to and obey the voice of God. Horrible picture of seeking to find comfort from any other place but then from the Lord. You know, the, the last days will be this great falling away. People are going to be, it's all about them. Saul went from the king of Israel, governing over God's house, to seeking comfort from the ungodly, which only brought on more misery. Man, he would have been better off if he had just eaten worms and stayed put rather than going to seek her out in the first place. Tragic picture. Two in a row. Next week, doesn't get much better. It will. Father, we're thankful, Lord, that you have left these pictures that are so graphic for us to be able to see. And Lord, we know that you've saved us by grace, but we also know you are never going to force us to walk with you by grace. And Lord, we know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do the things that I say? Lord, none of us want to be found there. That's why we're here tonight. So, Lord, may our accounts with you be short. May our ears be quick to hear, Lord, your words. May our, our, our obedience be the central in our relationship with you. And, Lord, may we truly enjoy the journey as you guide us and speak to us and direct us. Lord, we know you love us. So Lord, just stir up that love within our hearts that the love of Christ that's in us might compel us, Lord, to live for you in these final days. 
these final clicks on the clock before you return. In Jesus' name.